Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we are going to talk about the concept of trust as it relates to the characters and the episode The Wrath of Ramakan, episode 8 of season 5 of Supergirl. We thought this topic went well with this episode because trust was quite a big theme, something the characters sort of struggled with in their interpersonal dynamics. We saw the idea of like trusting that people have it within them to do good or to become better. Obviously, this was the big conflict with Alex and Kara related to Lena and whether or not she was going to do good or be better in this episode or in the future. We saw that Malefic has in fact turned over a leaf and Andrea also did sort of the right thing finally as she says and she has regrets about not having done it earlier so that she could save her fiance Russell. We also saw this sort of idea of like particularly with Kara, Alex and Jean trusting that people will do what you hope they will while you're gone because the three characters are all like split up in this episode and had to like divide and conquer and solve different types of problems while there was also this concern and friction over what decisions particularly with Kara and Alex they would make and then also Kara and Jean like splitting up and trusting that they will solve the problem at hand and then obviously there's this concept of like trusting people's reasoning skills and like their read of a situation particularly their read of other people which we'll talk a lot more about with Kara and Alex getting into sort of like the different characters and the ways in which they trust or don't trust and how they interact with that kind of concept. Something I think is interesting and directly relates to trust is the psychological concept of locus of control. Locus being like a position or a place, so then the locus of control would be where the control is. So if your locus of control is internal, you think that the control is with you and you control what happens in your life. If it's external, then the control lies in like outside forces they control what happens in your life. Yeah, and this came up when we talked a little bit about Andrea and how she seemed kind of to accept what was happening to her when she became a Krata, even though maybe she wasn't happy about it. Mm. And the locus of control is one of the pretty standard ways that you measure a culture's values or how different like societies and groups of people vary because it can be extremely different in different parts of the world in terms of feeling like you are in control of your own destiny or you're not. And there's also sometimes a big variety among individuals within a culture, depending on their life experiences or their position in society and how much control they feel like they have over the outcome of their decisions. Which is interesting in terms of Krypton. And everything we've seen of Krypton has sort of influenced Kara to have more of an internal locus of control that she and her family and people have the ability to control what will happen. But that also may interact with her social standing in terms of not only does Allura have like this social influence, but she is in a position of power as a judge who can send people to prison. And there's an implication there that she takes the blame for the situation with Fort Roz. So either she has a really highly internal locus of control, or she did in fact have a lot of power in that situation, which I tend to lead toward she had a lot of power. Yeah. So you have Allura, but you also then have the entire House of L, which obviously was extremely highly regarded, not just Kara's father, but also Clark's family as well. Mm-hmm. So obviously, they have practically a lot of control because of that family and Kara sort of getting that message of an internal locus. But then also we have hints in terms of cultural aspects that extend beyond their family, like the concept of Rao protects us so that we might protect others. So Kara has this cultural religious message that individuals play an important role in sort of the fate of the universe 
universe and the fate of other people. And then also directly from Alora, she's told, obviously, to be extraordinary, to go to Earth and, you know, do something and be important and make a difference. And we know that Kara then sort of blames Alora for Krypton's destruction in a way and that she says that Alora chose wrong. I love her, but she didn't save Krypton like she promised and my planet died. So there's a pretty direct line from Alora's actions to the destruction of Krypton, which is probably somewhat fair given her position of power or fair to some degree. Fair, but possibly also a little bit unfair because Kara was about 12 years old at the time and didn't necessarily know all the other political debates that maybe happened behind closed doors. Yes. But we can see in her that she has this internal locus of control specifically regarding fate and like what's going to happen. It's pretty intrinsic to her personality that she trusts that what will happen will be good. But also tied to that is that it'll be good if we do the right things. So if she does the right things, but then also there's a bit more of like a team effort compared to maybe some other characters, like we together can change things. And I get the sense that Kara believes in sort of a grand plan type thing. And that adds to her trust. For instance, in season two, when Monel was pushing her on like being heroic and stuff, he said... And why do you have to be the one who saves everyone all the time? And she says, because our worlds may have been destroyed, but we were spared for a reason. Which hints at the idea that, like, there is a reason for things. And it's not senseless. And that, you know, her planet died so that she could come to Earth and be extraordinary, be a hero and save the planet and do good. And there's a sense that like the world is fair. So there's that loss, but then there's also a gain. And then if like bad things happen, it's also her fault because she has that control and like fate is designed in a way where if you do the right things, good things will happen. However, she doesn't trust that like if she's not there to save the day, things will go well. She doesn't trust that she won't lose everything and like people won't die if she isn't there. Well, because she's seen it happen. <laughs> Think about human for a day. Yeah. And then Clark went and told her that she was the superhero responsible for protecting the whole Earth because she can. Uh-huh. Like, that's not an expectation <laughs> that's super high. <laughs> uh, but in terms of human for a day, that's a good example. Because if you have either like a middle-ish or external locus of control, like a healthy or like a it's out of your hands sense of control over what things happen, when bad things happen, it's not your fault necessarily. But for Kara, when she loses her powers and then isn't able to save people, she feels pretty awful and guilty and then kind of has to like find a way to help somebody find a way to sort of do the right thing. And then this ties into her idea and her trust that there is always another way. Like you can save everybody. There's a way to do the right thing and save the most people because the world is fair. But we see Kara's trust in fate and her internal locus of control challenged in season three because she did everything right. She tried to find another way. She tried to save everybody. She made the correct moral choices, but then she still lost somebody. She lost Monel. And now for her in that season, fate became more of an imposing force than something that gives her power. And we hear it toward the end of the season in her conversations with Monel and how she's stressed about there being a trade off for doing what they do, being a hero. Her internal locus doesn't exist to go away, but she loses trust that things will just be okay if she does the right thing. And we see this demonstrated in her early season three behavior and how she's so hyper-vigilant and on the clock 24-7 and rejecting all these social connections and her loved ones because she has decided that fate is less kind than she originally thought it was. It's less trustworthy than she thought. And it turns out that she doesn't get to have love and she doesn't get to have it all. But she still then has that internal locus of control. So she decides that she has to be super 
Supergirl of the time to kind of counteract that lack of trust. And at the end of season three, when she lost a bunch of her loved ones in one fell swoop, because she chose to do something wrong, she decided to kill Rain. She decides to make a different decision and go back in time and find another way and not kill Rain. And then she got all of her loved ones back. They lived. And I think it sort of reset her trust in the world order. And after all of those experiences, I think that her worldview in terms of trusting fate and in terms of how much control she has over a situation has only become strengthened. So that's her locus of control concerning what will happen and sort of like maybe destiny or like luck or fate. So now let's look at her locus of control with regard to people and whether or not she has sway over them. Kara has a very internal locus of control. Just across the board. Yes, <laughs> She thinks that she can control how people will act. And this is evident in like her superhero speeches that she gives and attempts to save people from themselves. Like with her words. With her words, yeah. The power of Kara compels you. <laughs> yeah. So if she says the right thing, then the person will be changed <laughs> for the better. And we see it in this episode how she's like, when she talks about Lena, it's so hard for her to trust people, but I made her trust me. Like she has control whether or not Lena takes that leap. But we saw in season three how she was like stressed that she has to be perfect with Lena and always do the right thing and be the perfect friend or else Lena will become disillusioned. And she compared it to what happened with Olivia, who was in the Coville cult of Rao, who saw that Kara was fallible and freaked out and then did all this terrible stuff. And then became a domestic terrorist. (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) Kara, in season four, we saw her be stressed about, like, fixing xenophobia for Earth-38. And we see Kara feel guilty if she tries to change somebody for the better and it doesn't work out. (laughs) And they just don't want to. They just... Well, think like Manchester. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that for Kara, it's not like, oh, they didn't want to, so it wasn't possible. It's like, oh, I didn't manage to do it. Like, oh, I just didn't try hard enough the right way. (laughs) For some reason, I couldn't say the right words. (laughs) She was like, I couldn't get through to her in this episode with Lena. And then another example of this sort of guilt that Kara feels for not being able to get through to somebody occurred in season three with Rain and she talked to Monel about it and how she saw that there was something like quote unquote human about Rain and like saw a moment of vulnerability with her when she turned into Sam, which she didn't know at the time, but she still wasn't able to get through to her. And because she at no point was able to get through to Rain, Livewire died. At least that's how she perceived it. So as it relates to trust, her internal locus of control regarding people, she trusts that there is good within people and that they will do good if she does the right things. Like to encourage it. <laughs> yes. If she like can help bring it out of them. And that makes sense in terms of like her upbringing. Like we've talked about Kryptonian values and protecting others and, and compassion, which is something that Allura valued, although didn't <laughs> very well employ. And then obviously we had the Danvers family taking her in and she referenced that in her hope speech <laughs> during myriad which is relevant <laughs> at the end of season one when she said but i found that there is so much love in this world out there for the taking and you the people of national city you helped me so there's this definite sense that there is a light inside of everyone if she can just access that however she doesn't necessarily trust and kind of varies from person to person that people will do good if she isn't there or if she does the wrong thing so it's kind of dependent upon her acting the right way and she definitely doesn't like when the chance to influence someone is taken away from her and 
therefore she thinks the opportunity to make them better is taken away from her. For instance, with Astra in season one, obviously she was killed at the time Kara thought that quote unquote Hank had done it. And she said, I had the chance to bring Astra back into the light and Hank cheated her and me out of that chance. And now we're seeing with Lena, Kara said to Alex, I know you think what you're doing is right, but she is our friend. If you use Claymore, there's no turning back from that. And there's this idea of like, Kara just needs more time to be able to reach them. In Astra's case, perhaps more warranted because there was some leeway being made over time. However, she was using Myriad um, and needed to be stopped, kind of like Lena. I just find it interesting that with both of these instances, we have Kara wanting to reach a loved one who has gone down a dark path, who is trying to control everyone's minds with Myriad. And then we have Alex, who in Astra's case does end up killing her. And then in Lena's case, it's mentally prepared for that again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, but the other thing that's kind of interesting with both Astra and Lena as like loved ones of Kara's and then the use of Myriad with Astra, Kara's got a foundation to draw upon that isn't influenced by any of Astra's political decisions and that has a level of honesty to it in some ways that her relationship with Lena has in in the sense that Kara has always been very genuine with her in her interactions, even though she maybe isn't like telling her the whole truth about her identity. But Lena isn't willing to acknowledge that any part of that was real. And that's part of the problem. Yeah. Like Kara has no foundation to work with at the moment. Mm -hmm. There's no leverage to influence Lena the same way or get through to her. And we see that Kara's sort of frustration with not having the opportunity to change Lena's mind about things when Lena initially reveals that she has been manipulating Kara after Lex revealed that Kara was Supergirl. And Kara says, why didn't you come to me right away? And that sort of desperation that she had there jumped out at me right away in the sense that if only she had been there to Mm. control the situation, then things would be okay right now. And then that sort of begs the question in terms of control and trust, whether or not like walking on eggshells in fear of setting someone off or setting them down the wrong path is really trust. Mm. And it's definitely sort of a scale with Kara in terms of ability to control because there's trust that there's goodness in people. But then the range of like, will they still do the right thing on their own varies between people. And we saw in this episode, it was pretty high with Alex when she, after she talked to her, didn't feel the need to like let the volcano explode in order to try to convince her more. She just kind of gave her a look and walked away and hoped that Alex would make the decision that she wanted her to make. With Lena, there's the sense of like Kara always having to monitor it and make sure that Lena knows that she can be a good person and the car is her friend and it's okay that you almost killed somebody because you didn't. <laughs> and Kara even says in this episode, part of me always knew this couldn't be that easy. And like, Kara, it wasn't easy. This whole process is really difficult to try to keep Lena trusting you. And Kara talks about like good intentions and her trust that people have good in them or want to do good. And that's sort of like the potential to do the right thing in the future, (laughs) which is kind of what Kara thinks is important here. And Alex does not. And Alex kind of argues against this concept that Kara clearly believes that she has so much control over Lena's behavior or so much influence that if something's wrong with Lena right now, it's because Kara did something wrong. And Alex brings up that, no, this sort of thing has been happening the whole time. She's been keeping things from us, has been choosing to hide really important things from Supergirl and from Kara and from Sam's loved ones in that instance. And Well, it's also interesting. A lot of the examples that she brings up are also related to kind of like the medical and the science-y experiments where, again, Alex has a very keen understanding of the ethical implications there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she says that, like, Lena's been leading her own sort of double life that Kara hasn't had access to. Well, and that Lena hasn't wanted Kara to have access to. No. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex sort of poses this argument that I think cuts to the point that Kara didn't change Lena fundamentally. This may have been, like, the straw that broke the camel's back, but, like, Alex brings up that this is a pattern of behavior. This isn't something mm. that just suddenly happened with Lena. This is just a massive secret amongst other large-sized secrets. It actually reminds me kind of how after Wynn was able to make his peace with his mother, he came to the realization that, like, his dad didn't just wake up one day and go murder some people. Mm, yes. But that there had been kind of signals the whole time that things were off. And he just, at the time, because he was a kid, didn't see it. And that's sort of a narrative that Lena has about herself that she mentioned before, how she's afraid that one day she'll just change, that something terrible will happen or she'll lose something else and then she'll become like Lillian. And I think she was looking so much out for this big moment and she sort of found it with Kara, but that she missed all of the little steps that have taken her to this tipping point. And Lena says it herself, Lex didn't change me and you didn't change me either. You just exposed me to the ugliness of humanity. I was like, really? More than your brother? Are you sure about that? (laughs) And so that challenges this idea that Kara has control over Lena. And so with Kara, we've seen her be rather hypervigilant with Lena in that she was constantly monitoring their relationship and and trying to make sure that Lena is like on the right path and and doing well and is healthy and isn't murderous. (laughs) And so there isn't really trust in the sense that she has trust for maybe Alex or Jean. And so we see that like low trust with people or in certain situations with fate and then having an internal locus of control leads to this pattern of hypervigilance because you don't think things are going to go well if you leave it alone. So you have to always be there. And we see that with her trying to save the world. We see it in relationships that she's worried about with Lena. And not just Lena. She does the same thing when she thinks that Wynne doesn't want to be her friend anymore. (laughs) She doesn't like space and time because she has it in her head that she's the factor that will make their relationship good again and like fix it. And Alex has to be like, no, just let him process on his own, which I guess brings us to Alex and and how she sees the world. (laughs) Which is very differently in some respects. (laughs) Yes. Although she does have a rather internal locus of control about several things. Well, that's also not surprising because that's pretty typical of American people just generally. Yeah. But then also with most of our characters, they're in positions where like, I'm going to go save the world. Like um, James, Jean, Alex, Cara, Lena also. It kind of makes sense that they as a group would have a more internal locus of control because they have a belief that they can affect change. But for Alex, she figures that she can control what will happen, especially to her loved ones. That's kind of her primary priority, protecting her family. And this goes back to like Alex feeling responsible for Kara in their childhood, like not being taken away and making sure that she is hiding her secret while not going off on flights and fancies. (laughs) And we see in one of these sort of classic Alex scenes from season one displays this sense of responsibility and an internal locus of control regarding her family when she says to the Allura hologram, tell me how to help my little sister and gives that speech about how it's her job to do so. And then we also see her like at the DEO and and not just in this world, but on other Earths trying to make a difference more outwardly than her family. But it's sort of this locus of control (laughs) begins in her inner circle and then spreads out. And in terms of trust um, regarding fate, 
and that locus of control. She's certainly less optimistic than Kara in terms of like, will we be able to accomplish this thing? She's kind of more, I guess, practical would be how she would see it. Yeah. But then in terms of um, trust and people and locus of control, she has a bit more of a mixed, I think, locus in that she's like, I can't control what people want to do in the way that Kara would sort of try to reach through to their core and like change them as people. But she's like, but I can get them to do things I want them to anyway. Well, sometimes. Sometimes. She's not like always interested in doing that because she's not like a manipulative person. Who isn't? <laughs> she's not like quite Lillian, but she has Lillian skills. And in terms of like changing a person, though, we saw her be kind of perplexed in season four with Haley and trying to figure out how to change her mind when she asked Kelly for advice. And then it didn't really work out for her. And Hallie then sort of on her own actually ended up changing her mind. Mm. So in terms of validation for Alex's worldview, that's a point in the kind of external leaning column. And then something I thought was interesting in terms of comparing to Kara, because Kara so strongly believes that she can change people. In Midvale, when Alex brings the information about the teacher who was having an affair of sorts with an underage student, gave the information to the police. And then when her friend confronts her about it, she is very frank with the fact that what the teacher was doing was wrong. But then she doesn't necessarily like overextend herself to try to salvage the relationship. No, she tends to kind of just present things logically and be like, either you're going to see reality or you're not. And it's not my job to convince you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we see also with Alex and Kara, Alex doesn't often like try to change Kara's mind, which definitely has a lot to do with Kara. <laughs> but like, unless there's a sort of concrete problem at hand, like a logical, like, you need to believe this and understand this, or there's going to be a problem. For instance, if we compare season two, the way that Alex reacts to Kara's opinions about Lena with season five, there's quite a difference in season two when Kara was really vehemently defending Lena and saying that she hadn't committed the crime she was accused of. Alex just kind of looked at her <laughs> and kept quiet about it. And then in season five, we're seeing that there's a real issue with Lena trying to mind control everybody. So it's time to talk to Kara. And then in season three, I thought it was interesting how Alex isn't as concerned with convincing Kara that she's right as she is doing what she wants, and then also defending her actions, which I think there's sort of a difference there. And I also think tracks with how she reacts to Kara disagreeing with her about Lena and Alex being kind of on the defensive of like, why don't you understand where I'm coming from versus trying to change Kara. So Alex doesn't necessarily think that she has control over whether or not people do the right thing or want to do the right thing, which I think is also tied to how she perceives other people and whether or not they can be persuaded. And in terms of trust, it ties back to like the idea that people are a threat to her loved ones, which is something that was super <laughs> prevalent idea in her childhood and protecting Kara. And then the situation in season one with James and Wynn and how she is slow to trust them and is not happy with Kara for revealing her secret to them. And though technically James already knew, but she wasn't happy about it. And then Haley proves to be quite the threat in season four <laughs> to Kara, especially related to Kara's secret. So she's very obviously protective of her loved ones and is mistrustful of outsiders, but then becomes more trusting when they come into the circle 
to a certain extent. But then also a struggle for Alex has been whether or not she trusts her loved ones to keep themselves safe, particularly with Kara. And this was a big thing for Alex in season four, obviously, involving the mind wipe. But there's this idea throughout their relationship that Kara doesn't really know about people and how they can be. And so she should be protected. And we saw this brought up pretty immediately in season one in the Livewire episode with Eliza. And she brought up how she has been here a long time on Earth, but she still thinks everyone as good as she is and how Alex is different and, you know, knows better. So there's this sort of battle between not having the same amount of trust in people that Kara does and then, like, making the leap of trusting Kara's own judgment about other people. So it's kind of a a bit of a struggle. Yeah, and actually, it's kind of funny because Alex is pretty good at getting a read on people, which they emphasized in season four when we got to observe how she felt like her interrogation skills were off Mm. when she was kind of missing that fundamental component of, like, how and why she interprets people the way that she does. Mm-hmm. And that also affected temporarily her interpretation of Lena. <laughs> and it's just kind of interesting because earlier this season, Kara specifically brought up to James and Kelly that you should listen to Alex because she's usually right. And thinking back on kind of different points in Alex as a bystander in all of what's unfolding now with Kara and Lena, we have had some slight indications of where she would fall in this conflict And those hints have always been pretty clear, as you might expect, that she will fall on the side of protecting Kara, the end. (laughs) There's a scene that I enjoy deeply. In the end of season three, when Kara and Lena decide they're going to go into the Valley of Juru to try to reach Sam, and Alex is like, well, I'm going with you. (laughs) Which is fortunate, because she's the only one who thinks like, oh, we should maybe have some kind of weapon, since Kara doesn't have powers. (laughs) (laughs) Something no one else thinks of. But as soon as she does... Lena kind of questions her judgment of needing it and she deliberately kind of jabs at her with it and it's like it's meant to be funny but it's also a little bit of a warning because Alex is there because she doesn't trust that Lena will look out for Kara first Mm -hmm. and it was also deliberately meant to parallel a scene from season one in which Alex does the exact same thing to someone who is hostile to Kara under the guise of it looking friendly on the surface Mm. so in light of that the argument that comes up between Kara and Alex in this episode makes a lot of sense because Kara doesn't quite understand like why Alex is making the decisions that she is even though Lena is her friend and says I'm not going to treat her like a villain and Alex is like yeah I already knew that (laughs) but that's why I'm gonna. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she says, that's why I have to, which is the role that Alex feels like she's always in, that she has to be in. Yeah. And that's, again, something else that has been established since the very beginning of season one. Again, in that same conversation in the Livewire episode that Eliza points out to Alex, you're the one who always makes the hard moral choices. You get put in the difficult decisions because, you know, you do what's in the best interest of everybody else while they're doing things that maybe aren't in their own best interests. And there are a lot of examples of her being perfectly willing to do those things, even though they are tough on her psychologically, even though they are tough on her relationships with the people that they affect. Possibly my favorite one that a lot of people seem to have forgotten is from very early on in season one, before she knows that Hank is Jean, when she thinks that the man she trusts actually was responsible for the death of her father. She has no 
hesitation whatsoever about leaving him to be bait when the DEO is taken over by a hostile alien, (laughs) knowing that he'll probably die. Like, she actively chains him to a pipe, calls the enemy over, and leaves. Um, (laughs) Like, if that's not a hint of how single-minded Alex's focus can be, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. There's also, as we kind of alluded to already, the fact that Alex kills Astra knowing it's going to hurt Kara because to her, the risk of not making that decision is worse Mm -hmm. for herself personally and also just more broadly for everyone in the long run. Yeah. And that brings to mind in this episode when she mentions to Jean, like, doesn't she know that this choice is difficult for me too? Because with Astra, she had tried to get through to her initially in their confrontation. And she knew that she was close. Yes. And then she still made that decision to save Jean's life. Yeah. And in a moment like that, it's also interesting in the sense of like, okay, well, what would Kara have done? Because they're both people she cares about. Well, in terms of like Kara and trust and finding another way, Kara has powers and she would have had more of an ability to yeah. to prevent Astra from killing Jean without killing Astra. Yeah. Well, both literally and also with emotional appeal. Yes. Yeah. But for Alex, less likely. Yeah. She had the element of surprise and technology. Those were the yes. only things in her favor. Mm-hmm. It was probably the only choice that she had in terms of making sure Jean got out alive. Yeah, like practical choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then other than with like intrusive thoughts about like how Alex actually hates Kara so she killed Astra. Kara's like upset but she trusts Alex more than Jean and I think also perhaps understood Alex's difficult situation more than Jean because Jean like Kara had powers. True. Well and speaking of except for those intrusive thoughts <laughs> one of the other really difficult situations that Alex is in is having to make the decision to A. Trust Max Lord to reverse engineer his red kryptonite and B. She's gonna shoot Kara with it not knowing what it's going to do because the alternative is letting Kara continue to harm everyone. <laughs> and like she tries to reach her the way Kara would try to reach somebody but when that does not work she fires that gun. <laughs> like uh-huh. <laughs> Alex uses the tools at her disposal and she's got to make do. Yeah. I mean, and then like one that's not quite so dire from season two is her being the only one who directly ever approaches Monel and says flat out at the beginning of season two, like, I don't think you deserve Kara's respect, <laughs> but she does. And I'm watching you. So <laughs> uh-huh. either improve or else. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because we talk about the differences between Kara and Alex and how Kara is like, okay, to change who you are <laughs> through a speech. <laughs> yeah. Alex is like, I don't think you can change, but get it together or else. And she kind of uses like a little bit of like intimidation and like... It's a motivational speech in a very different way. It's like the difference between like a Hufflepuff Gryffindor Hope speech and a Slytherin, this is what you need to do. <laughs> Which Alex is in terms of her locus of control and controlling outcomes, likely to employ other methods as opposed to changing people internally. And we've seen her in the series use deception in order to accomplish that. We see that she's skilled in manipulation and interrogation. She's also, well, sometimes a good liar. She doesn't like lying, which she admits as much to her mom, but she can do it pretty convincingly. Yeah. Kara said in season one, after she figured out that Alex lied about being the DEO, and growing up, I always thought you were such a bad liar. And Alex says, that's what a good liar makes you think. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) But then lying was kind of like sort of subtextual conflict for them in season one mm. and tied to trust and how Alex lied about the DEO and Kara felt kind of betrayed concerning that and then lied about killing Astra. And in this episode, I thought it was interesting 
you know, comparing lying in season one to lying and manipulation here with Alex. Because in this episode, when Alex reveals that she had planted a virus in Lena's computer system by using the hologram projector that Kara was using to get through to Lena, Kara says, you used me, which reminded me of the scene in season one when Kara said to the Allura hologram, speaking of holograms, did you use me to draw Astra out of hiding? And Kara doesn't like being manipulated in that way, especially when it takes the ability to change away from people. And then Allura using Kara to get to Astra is interesting in terms of season one parallels between Kara and Alex and the idea that Astra didn't have faith in people and how that was what drove their relationship apart. So we're seeing some of those themes come back up again in this episode. The other thing that's really important about that moment, though, with Alex revealing that she and Brainy implanted this virus to get into Lena's system by using Kara's technology Mm -hmm. is that it is a direct parallel to Alex doing the exact same thing in the Medusa episode in season two, because again, she did not trust that Kara would be able to get through to Lena and get the information or the help that they needed without a backup plan. Mm -hmm. And Alex had win hack Lena as soon as Kara was like, out of earshot yeah <laughs> uh, so like this isn't a new strategy at all no. so while Kara might be kind of annoyed and offended <laughs> i don't think she's actually all that surprised no necessarily no but it ties back to the idea of like whether or not alex has faith in Kara and trusts her in season one she said with regard to james and win and them knowing her secret james and win believe in me but i need your faith alex more than that s more than that cape more than anyone's and alex kind of goes on to tell her that she does have faith in her. And Alex certainly has faith and trust that Kara can accomplish great things and be extraordinary. And they just definitely disagree about people. But in this episode, we see that she has learned to trust Kara and Jean. So is like more likely to trust others based on their judgment. Brainy brings up in this episode when Alex talks about the risk of trusting Malefic. He says that assumes there is a risk. Jean said his brother has changed. And then Kara later on thanks Alex for trusting her regarding not killing Lena. So there's kind of a progression here. But one of the things I thought was interesting in terms of Alex and trust and control was the concept of mind control as it was brought up in this episode. Alex has a history of encounters with mind control and sort of like mind alterations. And so it makes sense that she would not be trusting of Lena Malfeck in this episode. Yeah. So they keep bringing up Alex having these strong reactions to all of the things related to the mind control in a way that I hope is going to lead somewhere for Alex as a character, because this has been a consistent thing as an obstacle for her. And as I think I've said it previously in the podcast, it's like one of the only obstacles that slows her down for any length of time. Uh, (laughs) um, But so you have very early on in Hostile Takeover in the front part of season one, the experience of being afraid of being overtaken by Jem, the like mind controlled alien that is attacking the DEO. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the first episode where the neural inhibitors are introduced. And we see them again in this episode, currently in season five. Then you have her experience with Myriad, which was not like everyone else's because Non and Indigo specifically captured her and controlled her to attempt to murder her sister. Yeah. And then not only we're like controlling her actions, but we're also speaking through her Kara's nightmare disturbing kind of things. Mm -hmm. This is then followed in season two by 
Alex getting captured and then possessed essentially by a white Martian because we find out that it's like pulling her thoughts into its impersonation of her in order to deal with Kara and kind of manipulate Kara so that it can attack her. This happened again this season, Mm -hmm. earlier this season. So there's that. (laughs) Yeah. And then you also have in season four, her decision to ask Jean to use his Martian powers to erase her memories. So on the one Mm -hmm. hand, you have her trust that Jean can do it and do it right. But you also have her doing it out of the recognition that she can't protect Kara any other way because they know at this point they cannot trust Haley to help her. But she also knows she can't trust herself to keep that secret. And also there's the truth seeker that literally will force her to tell the truth. So if she knows it, you know, the game is over. (laughs) And it has a lot of messy repercussions for her. It makes her job more difficult. It alters her relationship with Kara in ways that ultimately almost end up being dangerous. We see her kind of lashing out at Supergirl. We see her lobbying for Lena to use the Harunel Hmm. in a place where she might have had more reservations if she remembered her stance at Thanksgiving that same (laughs) year, being like, how about you don't? (laughs) And then you have at the very end of season four, Kara almost dies because Alex doesn't remember until it's nearly too late that Supergirl is her sister. And so take all of those experiences up to and including the white Martian body snatching several episodes ago in season five. Mm -hmm. And then she gets incepted by Malefic, says all kinds of horrible things to Jean and ends up threatening to kill him against her will. And now she's being confronted with the possibility of let him have access to her mind and everybody else that she is in charge of as the head of a government organization. Or let Lena succeed with Myriad and control everybody's minds from elsewhere for reasons no one knows. (laughs) With no one knows. With goals that are (laughs) unclear. So Mm -hmm. she is in a position where she has a lot of experience not coming out well and her choice is like bad or bad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She has to either not trust anyone or trust A, that Lena is worth saving and can be saved and B, that Jean is right that Malefic has already changed. So that's a pretty big leap to have to make when you're already strongly against all of what they stand for. (laughs) could happen, yes. (laughs) Well, yeah, you're strongly against what could happen and also under a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure because if she gets it wrong, that that's not just about her relationships with Kara and Jean anymore. (laughs) That's about like the safety of Mm -hmm. the whole city, the country, who knows, the world. (laughs) I don't know how far Lena's planning to take this. (sighs) So like there's there's a lot riding on her choice there Mm -hmm. and she chooses to believe Yes. So that wraps up sort of Alex's more individual section. And we talked a little bit about where Kara and Alex diverge in terms of trust and locus of control with people. But let's take a closer look at the Danvers sisters' (laughs) trust conflicts that have occurred, especially in this episode. Yeah. So this episode built on a lot of issues that have been there for a long time. (laughs) And we talked about this in one of our very earliest podcast episodes that we did on the Danvers sisters. And as we We've all 
also established in this episode, Car and Alex have fundamentally different priorities and approaches to problem solving, <laughs> which normally works okay because their goals are aligned. But when they're not, they run into a lot of conflict with each other. A particularly good example was in season three with their debate over how to approach the world killer <laughs> issue. Car really enjoys telling people that there is always another way to solve problems. <laughs> and the hint is that the way is the way that she would like. Her way. <laughs> By another way, it means I don't like your way. <laughs> yes. Uh. Well, it usually means like, Let's figure out how to do everything we would like. Let's solve all the problems. Yes. And Alex is not always fond of this, as she points out in the Midvale episode from season three, while they're arguing about Kara's decision to bring them home for the weekend against Alex's will. And she's really quite aggressive about it and says kind of like, oh, yeah, right. It's whatever Kara says that goes and I just have to roll with it. And I guess so does all of humanity. Uh, <laughs> Kara's like, so? Kara's like, what? This was the right choice. I'm right, though. You needed your mommy. <laughs> you like, be honest. <laughs> that was a very telling little moment of aggression in the sense that it goes back to their unspoken acknowledgement that there was a bit of truth in the conflict that they had back in Falling in season one and also in the way that Kara, if she so chose, could use her influence in extremely dangerous and negative ways to impact other people, you know, like Myriad. <laughs> so kind of related to this ongoing struggle between Kara and Alex of acknowledging that they can do things in different ways and it's okay. <laughs> Eventually, like, they have to compromise in some way, and sometimes Kara's way is not always the best way. You actually see Alex checking in emotionally with Kara a lot in this episode, almost trying to get her to, like, slow down and think a little. Yeah. Because Kara's so laser-focused, Supergirl, <laughs> in thinking that she's already got the solution to the problem, that even when Alex is trying to kind of touch base and check in with her and reassure her, they're talking past each other, essentially, because they both have very different understandings of what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And therefore, their ideas on how you're going to solve the problem are not entirely overlapping. No. <laughs> yeah. So part of this is Kara likes to kind of play the odds a little bit. And because she is who she is, she has the room to do that. Mm -hmm. She likes giving people the space to make the decision to change. She likes giving them the time to come around to it. And because she has the powers and stuff that she has, she's got the flexibility, at least, to be able to defend against any lateral damage that maybe will happen in the process of getting someone to change their mind. Mm. Whereas Alex does not have that luxury and she prefers having certainty that the people who are under threat, particularly if they are members of her family, are going to be safe. She does not like to take chances because, you know, she's not bulletproof. She can't fly. Either we resolve it forever and it's done or no one is safe. Yeah. And also they just have different levels of trust for yeah. what the odds will be. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other issue here, which is where Alex keeps trying to push Kara to take a minute and actually like 
like explore her feelings is that Kara has framed the problem as I hurt Lena's feelings. I have to fix it. Mm-hmm. Alex looking at it from the outside is like, okay, that might be true, but Lena shouldn't be acting like this. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Kara's like, oh, I've done this to Lena. Alex is like, Lena, there's nothing wrong with Lena. <laughs> Lena is actively choosing to enslave society. Yes. Um, <laughs> so the problem is like the way they've defined the problem regarding Lena is they don't overlap really. And they're both right. Both of those things are the problem or parts of the problem. Mm -hmm. But in the moment with the way that the situation with Lena has escalated, the real question becomes, and this is the decision Alex is trying to make, is which of these things is the priority right now? Is the priority fixing Lena's feelings or is the priority the safety of Kara and society at large? Mm -hmm. And Coming from her perspective as a public servant, the answer is not Lena's feelings. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think Kara would be willing to even posit it that way because she's so... Oh, she wouldn't because she would assume she could convince Lena not to hurt people. But she's so like, we can we can accomplish both things and like... By doing it Kara's way. Well, there's a level of trust about like, if we work together, we do the right things. If you just agree with me about this, then we will be able to save society and Lena. So why should we give up on Lena? And Alex is like, okay, but I live in the real world. (laughs) And we don't have time for that in case you're wrong. (laughs) And it's funny because Alex doesn't exactly make a decision that is like, well, Lena's going to do the right thing. Uh, She still acts like practically, but she makes the decision, I think, which is key, which is to trust Jean's judgment of Malefic. Yes, because that's the bigger thing, because then even if Kara is wrong, as long as Jean is right, everyone is still safe. Yes. See? Backup plans. <laughs> yeah. And it's probably overwhelming where like Alex is like, I've got to got to trust all these things. I have to trust like odds, just like fate that like things will fall the way that we like. This is why Alex can't be bothered to stop and spare people's feelings. Like the cognitive load of having to make all those decisions is enough. <laughs> yeah. This is why we have cars and we have Alex's in the world because nobody should have to do both. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. And Speaking of Jean, Space Dad ultimately ends up saving the day and keeping the sister feud on the back burner, (laughs) at least until maybe after Crisis. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Um, But Jean is an interesting one because all of his experiences and his cultural differences from Kara, from Alex, have left him in a very different place in terms of how he trusts life and and people. (laughs) Yes. In terms of Jean's like locus of control, my read is like internal leaning, especially because of his like survivor's guilt and the sense that he left his people and he has to like atone for that. And then, for instance, like we saw in the end of season four, now he has to do the right thing. And it's kind of somewhat similar there in terms of role in the universe because he is also religious like Kara mm. and thinks that Ron Mir has a plan for him and he expresses as much to Malefic that there's a role for Malefic also. And it's interesting that he sends Malefic off to Magan because of what Magan represents in terms of trust and Jean and trusting people. First off, especially because his people were killed by a genocide and that 
<laughs> impacts your ability to trust people. And then he came to Earth and was in hiding for years and years and cut off from people and being attacked by like, the DEO, for instance. But we've seen him over the years because of Alex and Kara, and then later McGon helps him with that a little bit, grow to trust people more. And we saw it on the level of like trusting someone's ability to accomplish something with Kara and her abilities in season one, which is sort of a nice contrast with this episode where they both split up and both believed that the other person was going to be able to accomplish their goal for Kara with defeating Ramakan and with Jean pulling the staff out of the ground. And we also see Jean grow to trust people in a way that interacts with how much he thinks he can impact things in his locus of control. And like, there's a progression of growing to think that he can influence others to be better and trusting that there is something within them for him to be able to access to help them grow. And sort of the first seeds of this we saw in season one with Kara and how she gave that speech when he was about to kill a white Martian. And we know that for Kara, not killing someone who has done horrible things is linked to the concept of hope that they can change. So there's a bit of an undercurrent there. And then his decision here not to kill a white Martian is maybe sort of the first step toward in season two, him finding it within himself to forgive Magan for being a white Martian and participating in the genocide that occurred and them growing to form a friendship and a little bit more than a friendship. And he helped her sort of forgive herself a little bit, like enough to stop wallowing in self-loathing and go out and affect change. And that was definitely partially due to his influence and his forgiveness and his friendship. Mm. And we've seen him in the past couple seasons have very like car-like moments of trusting that there's something to be reached within people. And something that jumps out to me in terms of examples is in season three, when Car was away in Argo and John was talking down a man who had a gun and got through to him and connected with him in a way that made him put down the gun and, you know, speaking of trusting that people will do what you hope they will when you're not around. And then the final sort of most relevant character from this episode is obviously Lena, who we know for sure has an internal locus of control uh, to the max. She certainly (laughs) does think she can control other things and people. Yes. And she thinks that she can control fate. And we know that this is influenced by, obviously, her mother's death when she was four and how she was like, I did this. (laughs) Which is actually, like, from a psychological standpoint, like a conclusion that a little kid would make, but also something that you presumably would have sent a little kid to therapy for a long time ago and, like, fixed. Uh, (laughs) But no. (laughs) But apparently not. And then also in terms of, like, fate and having control over things, Lena's from a very wealthy family. They all have a lot of power, obviously. We saw Lex, like, opt out of jail. (laughs) And Lena Lena just opted out of jail (laughs) in this episode. She certainly did in a very deceptive way. Mm -hmm. And in terms of Lena's perception of people, we see her struggle in terms of like an internal locus and failing to change Lex and make him a better person. And it's interesting because it seems like she doesn't think that she has the ability to change people and reach them in that way. And then therefore she decides that she just needs to control everyone with Mary and obviously trust ties into this in the sense that it is very low influenced by the luthers of course and those formative experiences with thinking that these people are not good on the inside and can't be trusted and will betray me and can't be controlled extend to everybody else (laughs) over the years and it's just interesting in terms of trusting control with lena because she is so afraid that she will be betrayed again and feel that again that she decides to have absolute control over everyone yeah in order to prevent that ever from happening in theory yeah 
but there's no like leap of faith involved and it's not genuine. So it's not rewarding. And to connect that back to the little bits with the VR and like the way we saw Andrea use it at the end of this episode, if you already have programmed how everybody's going to behave, you should theoretically know it's an illusion. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing real about it in the way that we have seen William and now Andrea using the VR technology to do things that they know aren't real and that they recognize aren't real. But we see in this episode very clearly that Lena is starting to lose track of the recognition that she is programming things, they're not real. Yeah. Pope is literally like, I'm not your friend and says it very matter-of-factly. Like, we don't have that relationship. I'm programmed to do what you want me to do. <laughs> so we're seeing that, like, whatever Lena's plan is, it's... It, she played herself. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be rewarding for her, ultimately. It's fruitless and misses the point of human connection. So that wraps up our trust topic thoughts about this episode. We have some non-topic episode thoughts? First thought, Andrea officially became like genuinely interesting in this episode. Yes. Congratulations. And I'm excited to see a little bit now where her evolution as a character goes because she made the step of taking control over her own life and her fate. Yes. And reached out to Kara as Supergirl and the DEO, mm -hmm. you know, in the way that Sam had wanted to in season three. <laughs> Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Speaking of which. <laughs> so in terms of like things I enjoyed about the episode, Alex walking through the fact that Lena has in fact been this way and that there's a pattern here and that's not Kara's fault, which I talked about in a meta sense, was wonderful. <laughs> It was nice that someone said it. Yes. The kind of biggest disappointment of the episode was that the conflict between Kara and Alex was kill Lena or save her, which are two extremes, which undercuts the message that, you know, what Lena did was wrong and that Kara is not responsible for her actions because they obviously fell on the side of save her as opposed to kill her. Yeah, I kind of related to that. This was another episode that, again, seemed like it was struggling from having some inexperienced hands at the wheel as far as the storytelling was concerned. There was a lot of dialogue that maybe wasn't entirely necessary and not enough trusting the actors to convey the story. They know the characters. These are some actors who are like talented beyond the pay grade of the network they're on. Use them. Yes. Let them do their jobs. Uh -huh. In terms of the disappointing messaging, mm. I did think in a story sense that Carr's attention was at least shifted away from it being her fault. In a good way? <laughs> yeah. So Alex kind of... She gets through a little. ...reframed the situation. Yeah. Where Carr is no longer like, wow, what a horrible thing I've done. And it's now like, no, don't kill Lena. Maybe she'll be different later. And I'm hoping that this has given room for them to explore more the fact that Lena has been this way, not in the sense of like spending time on like Lena characterization, but emphasizing the fact that Kara is not responsible for her actions. Obviously, the message here is that you should try to save people, but... Well, you should try to reach people and at least give them some either benefit of the doubt or time to clarify their intentions. Yes. I'm just hoping that there's a less broad look at this concept mm. in the future. And I think there's a little bit room more so than I would have said maybe a week ago. Yeah. There's been a struggle with the messaging kind of contradicting itself on this storyline. And I get why, kind of, because if we had only seen it from Kara's point of view, we wouldn't understand 
necessarily all of what is happening when Lena finally reveals to Kara all of the deception that's been going mm-hmm. on. So we did need those looks at her point of view along the way, but the focus has been so much on Lena that some of the stuff in this episode, particularly the way they framed Kara as having such a low bar for reassurance that Lena didn't hate her, like, oh, good, she didn't kill me with a toxic poison, mm-hmm. isn't really like, you know, things are going to be okay because she just shot me with some other thing. <laughs> Wasn't, I, I hope they come back to that in a way that is less uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. It also doesn't help in terms of, you know, telling Lena's side that it's been like this for seasons. Yeah. <laughs> like Alex, just in this episode, and we have a question about this actually, address the fact that there's a pattern of Lena doing things that are shady, but <laughs> no one in the Supergirl show had previously addressed those things as being shady and then not backed off on it. Well, and also the the narrative just in terms of overall the way the story is framed the way the scenes are shot and the music is scored and everything has not supported the idea that maybe everybody was supposed to notice this all along the way and many people didn't or ardently insisted that those people who did were wrong but i mean they blatantly been setting this up the Mm -hmm. whole time which actually was a question that we got anonymous asked how shocked were you that the writers have actually been setting lena up as a villain this entire time and they weren't just giving her a pass for all the sketchy things she's done in the past Well, the answer to that is not at all. They made it pretty clear in season three that this was where the story was going. They built it up throughout all of season three. They doubled down on it last season. And when we got to the point at the end of the season where that reveal came, it was very clear that that was exactly where this Mm -hmm. was going. And when I say in terms of setting it up, I think we're going to talk about this in more detail during the hiatus as part of a different topic. But there were a couple of select things that Lena said that were hints at where she was going as a character in terms of not only the text of her dialogue, but also the symbolism of like the episode that it fell in, what the episode was titled and what that was a reference to as well. Mm-hmm. And so that came in the midpoint of season three and it telegraphed the direction that Lena went as far as doing things to Sam. It was built on in season four with her experiments with Adam and then the escalation there with the Harnell and segued very smoothly into where we are now. Mm -hmm. So like, it's reassuring to know that there was going to be a narrative payoff in the sense of pointing out that these things were incorrect, but also from a, like an educational perspective, that's the wrong way to tell a story with a moral like Mm -hmm. that. Because if you give people time without pointing out that something is wrong, they'll come up with justifications for why it's right. And then when you try to correct them and tell them it's wrong three years later, they will not accept it. I think there was too much assumption that people would kind of get would get it the things she was doing (laughs) like there's obviously textual support of like the music being like eerie when she does the thing and then parallels and just and like literary references literary references and and just having Kara as a sympathetic hero and then even in this season starts to feel extremely guilty and like you're supposed to sympathize with her and i think there's an assumption that people will just do that automatically and then understand that lena's going down a dark path in a way that we've seen is not necessarily what happened in terms of audience reception well no but on the other hand in looking at multiple different like social media channels in terms of reactions the general audience does get it yeah 
It's just that some of the audience that is the most vocal is kind of protesting against where the narrative is going. Mm-hmm. So we'll see who wins that battle. <laughs> yeah. If you're setting things up on kind of a subtextual level, you'll get a certain amount of people who will understand it. But if you are explicit about it, obviously, that hits harder. And we would appreciate at this point harder hits in terms of messaging. Yeah. We got another question from Hobbit Killer on Tumblr. So will Alex using the hologram to sneak a Trojan horse into Lena's network be added to your list of most Slytherin moments? Also, what do you think it will take for Lena to realize she's not the hero in this story? Someone getting hurt? Hope becoming Skynet? The moment Alex, my favorite movie is Terminator 2, has secretly been waiting for. (laughs) Yes to all of these. To tackle the Slytherin moments (laughs) aspect of the question, yeah, when Alex said good luck to Cora and just... Oh, right. Yeah, you did like this a lot. (laughs) Her facial expression and her stance was so Slytherin that I should have known what she was doing (laughs) before she said it out loud, to be honest. Well, I kept joking to you that it reminded me of the scene from fresh off the boat of a flashback of Jessica Mm -hmm. and her sister where her sister to her face is like I respect your choice and the subtext it like literally says in subtitles is like good luck with this bad decision (laughs) exactly it had that energy yeah I'm probably (sighs) gonna think about that when I think about Slytherin moments from now on so correct Hobbit killer in terms of what do I think it will take for Lena to realize I am wondering if at some point Hope will stop Lena because Lena is harming people. Interesting. What if it's the other way around? Or like Hope like actively shoots someone. (laughs) A thing people were apparently concerned she was going to do in this episode. Well, let's say Hope is about to spend some time on her own and they like develop, like apparently she's in jail, (laughs) and they develop past what Lena wanted. And then maybe she'll go more extreme than Lena would have. Hmm. Because that's how AIs learn. And uh, when they are exposed to the wide world, (laughs) usually backfires because people train them to think terrible things. Microsoft tried an experiment like this several years ago, and they had to pull it offline within less than 24 hours. It's funny how the killer brings up Terminator 2 with Alex with regard to this topic, because we talked about Alex having low trust with like fate and like the world. And in Terminator 2, obviously, there's Skynet and like everything is against his family and like the future is terrible and it's like hell. However, the family unit saves the day, saves the world. So I thought that was fitting. Fam. (laughs) Fam. So we have another question from Layla of Paper. To paraphrase Kara, she believes that the ability to change is what makes humans beautiful. So I wanted to ask what you both think is the most beautiful thing about humanity and I guess what the other alien characters would find the most beautiful about humanity. I hope that's not too big of an ask. Also, what's your super real Supergirl spoiler reason that Nia has been so absent from the last few episodes. <laughs> She's asleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> She's dreaming her way out of crisis. <laughs> In terms of beautiful things about such humanity. Such a wholesome question. That's a big question. I like it. I'll start with like the characters. So other aliens who aren't Kara. So we have Jean. I was thinking maybe the human capacity for like acceptance and the fact that he was given sort of a second chance at a family. Mm. For Brainy, I figured emotions, like the messy kind, I think he will grow to love and appreciate and understand more. Like, especially if you consider the end of season four and that scene when he says like amazing, astounding, astazing and kind of the parts of humanity that are not entirely 
totally logical. Mm. And then I also thought maybe their capacity for acceptance, because considering her speech that she gave as Dreamer and how her hometown was and how everyone was kind of more accepting of aliens and her as a trans woman. In terms of us personally, I think Maybe like, the I won't say unlimited, but the expanse of creativity mm. that people have, not just in terms of maybe producing what we would consider like art, but mm-hmm. in terms of just the many, many ways that human beings problem solve and try to forge connections with each other and find ways to communicate and express themselves. Neat. <laughs> Mine is humanity's capacity for selflessness. I'm always like, wow. <laughs> whenever people make a selfless decision like in how like disaster situations when people sort of band together and share and like maybe endanger themselves to protect other people and go out of their way in crisis not to promote crisis on infinite earths but <clears throat> and then i also like like in terms of selflessness it's like a weird little thing but when people can admit that they were wrong because they think doing so is important like more important than maybe feeling bad about it or like keeping their image intact or protecting themselves from feeling insecure. And then to swing back around, I have an alternative super real Supergirl spoiler to explain Nia's absence. Brainy sent Nia a new fresh load of food again and so she decided to invite kelly to have lunch with her and they're they're just still there they're still they're just car has been too preoccupied to help so (laughs) this question is also similar to that another anonymous tumblr user asks do you think that nia william and kelly are enjoying their respective peaceful days at work without interruptions from everyone else or are those things enough to disrupt their days and make it so that they can't go to work anyway That question makes me think of, like, what is it like for the students at Hogwarts once (laughs) Harry Potter graduates and they can just, like, have a normal school year? Yeah, they're like, car is so nice, but, like, bad things are always happening. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean... They're just reporting, you know? They're they're hacking away. (laughs) Well... I hope Kelly's not reporting. <laughs> Kelly became mm. a reporter while while they were gone. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's like like I feel like I just need to help because there weren't enough people here. <laughs> <laughs> and our last question is from Cyclone Rachel. Because we've heard about Lex enjoying Paradise Lost and there have been connections between Lena's story and the novel Frankenstein, what do you think are the favorite classic literary works of the Superfam? The Superfam. I mean, an obvious one is Wizard of Oz for Kara. That's true. Although you also brought up once to me that Cora may sort of connect to within the diary of Anne Frank, Anne Frank's belief in the good in people. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that. Yes. What other stuff would Kara maybe enjoy? Hmm. The Odyssey, <laughs> which is like a mean choice. Maybe, no, maybe more for Jean. <gasps> That's so good for Jean because he has a really long journey to find the Danvers sisters, his brand new daughters. <laughs> yes. And then when he gets there, there's all kinds of chaos and he has to fight everyone. <laughs> And save his family. It's these, fine. These things happen. Jean also has like, it might be because David has played a Shakespeare role, but I feel like Jean has Shakespearean energy and sort of the like, <laughs> the drama of it and like the family like aspect and like maybe like Hamlet or something. Interesting choice. Also lame is. <laughs> also lame is Jean, Jean Valjean. Valjean. That's terrible. <laughs> Les Miserables is a classic novel yes. though. And I was looking at some classic literary works in sci-fi and Ender's Game. I thought the brainy might enjoy actually because the kid huh. in it is like a tactical genius. And then he has these siblings who one is like 
a very intelligent sociopath. And then the other one is very empathetic. And then there are themes of like violence and manipulation, which I think are things that Brainy might struggle to grasp, but enjoy trying to learn about. But we see this like theme of like tactical intelligence versus compassion in it, which I think you might enjoy. I like it. We have skipped Alex thus far, and my first thought was, well, maybe Alex doesn't really like to read. <laughs> and then my next thought was the awkward defense that Charles Bingley offers in Pride and Prejudice, where he's like, well, I can read. I just prefer doing other things <laughs> ahead of it. And then I remembered what you said. <laughs> I was like, am I thinking Pride and Prejudice for Alex because it fits her or because... I so strongly associate Pride and Prejudice with Vivi, and Vivi has Alex energy. <laughs> so the answer is, we'll let you all decide. <laughs> Vote in the comments below. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I was joking to you that Alex would like The Plague by Albert Camus, which is like the worst choice. <laughs> oh, this it's one. It's <laughs> literally, it's about people dying of the plague. Mm -hmm light reading but i was like whatever teenage alex was edgy and in like a weird place <laughs> she because she thought her dad died and she wanted to be a doctor maybe it vibed i don't know uh, like, maybe uh, she just thought it was relatable in some way i don't whatever and on that lighthearted note i also have one for eliza Perhaps she would enjoy Little Women, which I think mm -hmm. would be fitting in terms of like this family unit of women and themes of motherhood and sisterhood. So that wraps up all of our listener questions. Mm -hmm. So with regard to our next episode, which will cover the first half of Crisis on Infinite Earths, we will see if it comes out on our usual Friday or if we hold it until the next Monday. We'll try to use our super speed. We also have a fundraiser going for the National Domestic Violence Hotline, inspired by Melissa Bonoist's recent video, which you guys can check out on Instagram TV, in which she talked about the intimate partner violence that she experienced and her journey to breaking out of it and the help that she received. And we figured that it would be a good idea to start this fundraiser so that when people do make that step of reaching out to people and trying to get out of that situation, that there's someone there to listen. So you can find the fundraiser pinned on our Twitter account at Supergirls Attic, or you can find it on our website, supergirlsattic.com. And if you guys would like to send us messages about this episode or anything we've talked about or questions that you have, you can also go to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram. Yes, because we will very likely do a couple of episodes during the winter hiatus, mm -hmm. and we already know we're going to do one looking at James now that his character arc has ended for the season, but we haven't decided our other topic yet. So if there's things you would like us to revisit or topics that we haven't explored, feel free to suggest things. Yeah. And thanks for listening. <laughs>